<clears throat> Today is the third day of this February 2022 four-day session, and I'm going to continue reading from the book Faith and Mind by Chan Master Sheng Yen. <clears throat> so picking up uh, where we left off yesterday, he uh, quotes one verse, banish existence and you fall into existence. Follow emptiness and you turn, and you turn your back on it. And then he says, in the Song dynasty, there was a famous prime minister by the name of Chang Shang Yin, who was opposed to Buddhism. He wrote many essays purporting to refute Buddhism, and he would spend every evening pondering over how he could improve the essay he was then working on. His wife, observing his obsessive involvement and struggle with his writing, asked him, what are you doing? He said, Buddhism is really hateful. I'm trying to prove there is no Buddha. His wife remarked, how strange. If you say there is no Buddha, why bother to refute the Buddha? It is as if you are throwing punches into empty space. <clears throat> this comment turned his mind around. He reflected, there may be something to Buddhism after all. So he started studying Buddhism and became a well-known, accomplished lay practitioner of Chan. In fact, Chang Shang Yin and Chan Master Da Wei had the same master, Yuan Wu. <clears throat> We've read often from Da Wei and Yuan Wu, two of the great masters of the Sung dynasty. <clears throat> Going on. Thus, if you try to destroy something, you are still bound up by it. For instance, suppose you try to clear a blocked pipe by pushing another object into it. Whatever was originally in the pipe gets pushed out, but the new object is now blocking the pipe. When you try to use existence to get rid of existence, you will always end up with existence. This is like fighting our negative thoughts. We have negative thoughts about our negative thoughts. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> So much, so much damage done by our unwillingness to accept things as they are. Xing Yan goes on, when you throw something away, it is gone. But does it cease to exist? In local terms, yes. In the broader picture, however, that is not the case. <clears throat> on this earth, no matter how hard you try to throw something away, it will still stay somewhere on the earth. There's a Chinese novel called Monkey. The hero is a super monkey who is so powerful that he can travel a distance of 180,000 miles in one somersault. <clears throat> in the story, he was journeying to the western paradise of Amitabha Buddha. On the way, he came upon five tall mountain peaks. He figured it would take one leap to get to the other side. First, he took a rest, urinating at that spot. 
<clears throat> monkey is kind of a bad monkey. <clears throat> First he took a rest, urinating at that spot. Then he somersaulted over the mountains. After he landed, he noticed a funny smell. He thought, some shameless monkey must have taken a leak here. Actually, he had never gotten to the other side of the mountains. He had just somersaulted back to the original spot. <clears throat> the five mountains in the story symbolize the five skandhas within which sentient beings are trapped. For those of you who don't know this basic uh, teaching of the Buddha, he explained uh, we are made up of five skandhas, five heaps, sometimes five bundles, like bundles of grass that <clears throat> lean up against each other. Uh, the five heaps of existence, which are form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. <clears throat> There's no self. There's no someone in there. There's no little man or little woman. It's causes and conditions, patterns, habitual actions. These are the five skandhas within which sentient beings are trapped. He says, all of your actions will boomerang back to you and you will have to take the consequences. If you throw anything away, it will be you who has to clean it up. You may think that you can avoid responsibility by passing it on to another person. <clears throat> in the short term, it may work, but ultimately, you have to deal with it yourself, and in addition, you have caused trouble to others. We do so much damage trying to escape trying to escape from what we don't like, especially what we don't like about ourselves, <clears throat> trying to escape from uneasy feelings, from our habitual discomfort. Really look at yourself, see all the ways we not only do damage to ourselves, needlessly upset ourselves, compound our problems, but we damage others. We're not there for others. We, uh, we have a repentance ceremony that we do at the center, which we recite, all evil actions or all harmful actions committed by me since time immemorial I now repent having committed. When we really do take a good look, can't help but feel the mind of repentance. Trying to get rid of what we don't like is so reactive. In short term, we may get temporary relief, but then problems come in the wake of whatever it is we've done, whether it's drinking or using drugs or <clears throat> any other addictive behavior or failing to do what's hard to do because we don't feel like it. 
as he says, in the short term it may work, but ultimately you have to deal with it yourself, and in addition you have caused trouble to others. Therefore, you should not try to get rid of your vexations. Rather, you should be willing to accept them. Once someone said, Shifu, my karmic obstructions are too great. Please recite mantras to remove them from me. <laughs> I think many of uh, Shengyan's students were <clears throat> native Chinese. Anyway, in that culture, uh, too many people here at the center who would ask to have their obstructions removed by our reciting mantras for them. <clears throat> he replied, and what will happen to these karmic obstructions when I remove them from you? Should they become shifus? If you have difficulties, you should not consider them problems. If you are obsessed with these difficulties and try to eliminate them, you're only getting yourself into greater trouble. basic principle. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a passage from the big book of AA. It's right on point. guy who wrote it says, when I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation, as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. <clears throat> or in Buddhism we would say, everything is a result of causes and conditions. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. <clears throat> I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Of course, we can go beyond that and say <clears throat> we can't just go in and snap our fingers and change our attitudes. We need a practice. We need a method. Shingen says, those who have just begun to ex practice experience many problems with their bodies and minds. They are constantly saying, I have to overcome all these problems. But in trying to eliminate their problems, they struggle. This is what is meant by banish existence and you fall into existence. <clears throat> the second line, follow emptiness and you turn your back on it, refers to practitioners who have experienced certain breakthroughs and are approaching the state of emptiness. They may think, I have eliminated all vexations. I no longer have any ignorance or attachment. But staying at this level would be considered outer path practice. The best these practitioners can do is reach the emptiness samadhi, the highest level of the formless realm. 
Well, <clears throat> that's one way, I guess, to interpret uh, that line, follow emptiness and you turn your back on it. Could also see it as uh, going back to Nansen and Joshu. When you direct yourself toward it, you go away from it. But <clears throat> I'm not going to argue with Sheng Yan. He says, I've known many people who were extremely diligent and took their practice very seriously in the beginning, but gave up too soon. It is just as if when one side senses it is losing the battle, suddenly all resistance is gone and they are defeated very quickly. This is listening to our thoughts. It's one thing to have the thoughts go through the mind. It's another thing to give them credence them wait. He says, as long as everything is going well, they continue normally, but as soon as something goes wrong, everything simply collapses. So it is with certain practitioners who have been working hard and then suddenly stop completely. They feel that practice is basically useless. They think it is a great deception because they have put a lot of energy into overcoming their problems and have not eliminated them at all. In fact, their efforts have only increased their mental vexations and have created physical ones as well. <clears throat> this is the problem when our foundation is wrong. We're not coming from a place of acceptance. As Guo Gu says, from a place of contentment, being okay with things as they are. That's our starting point. That's where we're working from. <clears throat> he says, because of this, many people consider serious or energetic practice demonic. They think it is not normal to devote oneself so completely to practice. Such criticism is usually unjustified. However, it is true that a practitioner who does not know what he is doing may get into deep trouble, especially without proper guidance. He may not be in a demonic state, but very likely his practice will not last long. <clears throat> this is a difficult balance to find, the balance between striving. Night we say, strive as you sleep with every breath, that you may wake past day, past death. Is that striving and then there's relaxation, relaxing into the practice. Everyone has to find their way. <clears throat> the Buddha himself was instructing a new member of the Sangha who was a musician, explained to him, asked him, how is it when your strings are too loose, you can get no sound, how about when they're too tight? Sound is horrible. Neither too loose nor too tight. Everyone has their own tendency. Some people are <clears throat> always going off the path in the direction of unnecessary tension. Other people aren't really trying hard at all. I think most of us tend to have too much tension.
uh, it's worth taking seriously. It's worth finding a way to be comfortable on your seat. Later in his teachings, Sheng Yan used to say, relax your, your bottom into your cushion, relax your mind into your practice. He says, it is good to have a diligent and objective attitude toward practice, but to be attached to the idea of overcoming your problems will only lead to further trouble. You could say it's better to see them, to learn, to grow, and to trust the process. The Jesuit teacher priest Anthony DeMello said, don't change. Desire to change is the enemy of love. Don't change yourselves. Love yourselves as you are. Don't change others. Love all others as they are. Don't change the world. It is in God's hands and he knows. And if you do that, change will occur marvelously in its own way and in its own time. Yield to the current of life unencumbered by baggage. Baggage of wanting things to be other than they are. The next verse is, Excessive talking and thinking turn you from harmony with the way. Cut off talking and thinking, and there is nowhere you cannot penetrate. He says, people like to talk, especially if they feel lonely. Those who tend to talk nonstop generally have difficulty with practice and also make it difficult for others to practice. In our Chan retreat, talking is forbidden, but there are still some people who cannot resist covertly saying a few words. Others honor the rule and refrain from speaking, but that does not mean they are not talking to themselves. All day long, while they are sitting, they come up with a theme and then carry on a conversation with themselves. They ponder over all sorts of issues. This is more common, I think, early in practice, but maybe some people carry it on. Just so used, used to spinning thoughts through our heads. Sort of our comfortable little nest so pleasant to think about this or that. He says, once a certain writer attended a retreat. During the first day, he came up with the idea for a novel. While sitting, he sketched out the plot and the various characters. In the private interview the next day, I asked him how he'd been doing, and he said, I've been making plans for my new novel. (laughs) Wow. I said to him, Perhaps you should go home and start writing your novel now. Otherwise, by the end of the retreat, you will have forgotten all the great ideas you have come up with. If you talk too much, either with your mouth or in your head, it will be difficult to make progress. When you find it hard to concentrate, 
it is very easy to start talking to yourself. You may not be even able to control it. <clears throat> we can notice it. When we notice it, we can stop. But by not being able to control it, we may not stop it for long. The habits we have that have momentum come back again and again. There's no other way but to keep coming back. He says there's a deeper interpretation of these four lines. <clears throat> You should not try to use logic or theory to answer certain questions in your practice. Some examples are, why, I, why have I come here for a retreat? What is the purpose of practice? What is enlightenment? If you get involved in this kind of questioning to justify your practice, then you simply cannot practice. Remember uh, back in the day, uh, when Roshi Kaplow was experimenting with different forms, uh, we had a session in the Zendo at Arnold Park where people were just talking about what had brought them to the center. <clears throat> people had all kinds of reasons. There was one guy, um, <laughs> he was from Brooklyn. He had a really thick Brooklyn accent. And he said, I come here by instinct. I love that. As Roshi Kaplow used to say, the reasons people give for what they do are never the real reasons. When we have to decide what to do, should I take up this practice? <clears throat> or any other question, should I take this new job? Should I get into this relationship. We can't, we can't do it just by thinking, just by running through our thoughts. So easy to go off track. Remember being struck once that two of the greatest terrorists of the 20th century, Pol Pot and Carlos the Jackal, were both products of the Sorbonne, a university in Paris. <clears throat> intellectuals can go way off the rails. We have, we have another kind of wisdom. We have our, our intuition, wisdom of the body. Spoke a couple weeks ago about the faculty of interoception, the ability to be in tune with the body, to get those little messages, feelings, and sensations. There's much more that the body knows, the body-mind knows, than what's in our thoughts. <clears throat> A lot of what's in our thoughts is fake news. It's kind of what we're seeing these days, is people just running off the rails <clears throat> with ill-considered opinions. confirming their prejudices. 
goes on. After a few days of practice, many people completely stop thinking about themselves and their outside affairs. However, they keep dwelling on my words. Whatever I say is meant to guide your practice, but when you are actually practicing, you should just use the method and not think about what I may have said. The less you talk to yourself, the closer you will be to the highest way. <clears throat> this is something that Roshi Kaplow used to stress too. There's no need to remember anything said in Taisho or in an encouragement talk for that matter. It goes in, it's in there. If you dwell on it, you're suspending your practice while you run through, remember what you heard. Certainly don't want to be doing that on the mat. He says, I once told a student, you really have to practice very hard to overcome ignorance. For two sitting periods, she was constantly thinking, how am I ignorant? Unable to contain it any longer, she got up and said to me, I can eat, I can sleep, so I'm really not ignorant. I said, look at a dog, a cat, a mosquito. They can eat and rest. Are you saying that they don't have any ignorance? Then she said, tell me what to do so I won't be ignorant. I said, try to meditate and recite the Buddha's name. She went back to her cushion and meditated on the Buddha's name. <clears throat> I guess that's a practice that uh, they were doing at his center. But again, she thought, of her, thought to herself, since I am here meditating and reciting the Buddha's name, I am not ignorant. After another two periods, she came to me again and said, in fact, I don't have any problems. I have been sitting here feeling very comfortable. It is you who have vexations. The problem was that although she took my words seriously, she would turn them over and over in her mind instead of actually applying the method during practice. It is only when you no longer have any words or thoughts that the perfect way will manifest before you and, quote, there is nowhere you cannot penetrate. <clears throat> we can let words and thoughts go. eventually find ourselves in a place with no words, no thoughts. He says, the meaning is not that you can go anywhere, but that there is no need to go anywhere, because in the state of no words and no thoughts, you are in the midst of anywhere and every place. How do you get to the state of no words and no thoughts? By picking up the method and putting down your attachment to other things. <clears throat> And the next verse is, return to the root and attain the principle. Pursue elimination, illumination, and you lose it. One moment of reversing the light is greater than the previous emptiness. He says, in practice, you may try to penetrate to the emptiness of phenomena, but as long as illumination is directed towards outward appearances, you miss the primal source. It is only by turning the illumination inward that you return to the source and get to the meaning of all things. If you can do this even for a split second, you will transcend the state of emptiness.
This is that backward step. The mind looking into the mind. Who is it who thinks? What am I? Shingen says, the source or root is Buddha nature. How do you return to the root? By letting go of all words and thoughts and eliminating all grasping and rejection. You must begin with a method, but at some point you must let it go. <clears throat> this can be confusing, this statement of his, letting the method go. It's, it's true that we can get to a state where everything disappears. Working on Mu, even Mu disappears. But it isn't something you have to worry about. You know, am I at the point where I should let go of the method? Um, better not even to worry about it. Uh, just sink into the method. <clears throat> what needs to happen will happen without your having to direct anything. He says, likewise, you should not hold on to any experiences that may come up. When the method and experiences are no longer necessary to you, you will have returned to the source. This source, or Buddha nature, is the lively manifestation of great liberation and great wisdom. In great liberation, there is nothing left. This is not the same as, quote, stubborn emptiness. Liberation goes beyond both emptiness and form. As it says in the Heart Sutra, form is only emptiness, emptiness only form. How could they be two things? <clears throat> and he goes on to the next verse. The previous emptiness is transformed. It was all a product of deluded views. He says, practitioners often go from attachment to existence to attachment to emptiness. If one thinks that emptiness is true wisdom or liberation, under this delusion, one cannot attain the ultimate. It is natural for people to become attached to their experiences. One student who sat very well last night tried to repeat the experience today by recalling exactly what he did that resulted in that great sitting. But today, the sitting went very poorly. This was due to his greed for the experience. <clears throat> this is so common. Get into a place we've never been before. I've had this happen so many times. Think, okay, I've turned the key. This is it. I've got it. And half an hour later, where did it go? <clears throat> it's, it's indeed due to our greed for repeating the experience, our attachment to it. And it's also just a product of normal ups and downs. Sometimes practice is strong, sometimes practice is weak. But our attachment, our desire to create an effect, that's not how we got that great experience. That's not how it happened. We weren't looking for it. <clears throat> Reminds me of that phrase of C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy. 
verse goes on, no need to seek the real, just extinguish your views. And Sheng Yen says, we should not seek Buddha nature or enlightenment, rather we should let it come about naturally. Such questions as when will I get enlightened, or is there a Buddha nature, will take you even farther away from Buddha nature, which is a totality and not something you can grasp. <clears throat> Buddha nature is not a thing. He says, Buddha nature is in the totality of your own self. Why should it be necessary to try to attain it? And how can you get hold of it? Don't practice with the thought of reaching Buddhahood. Just put forth your best efforts. I want to quote something here that Ramana Maharshi said. The Indian sage died about 70 years ago. He said, There is no greater mystery than this, that we keep seeking reality, though in fact we are reality. We think that there must be something hiding reality and that this must be destroyed before reality is gained. How ridiculous. A day will dawn when you will laugh at all your past efforts. And that which will be on the day you laugh is also here now. to continue with the uh, with the poem the next verse but this is from another retreat uh, given in 1984 previous material was from a retreat in the oh that was also in 1984 okay so this is just a month later <clears throat> And the verse goes, do not abide in dualistic views. Take care not to seek after them. As soon as there is right and wrong, the mind is scattered and lost. And he says, dualistic views refer to the discriminating mind. They include any doubts about the correctness of your method or whether your decision to attend this retreat was a right or a wrong one. If you lack faith, you will doubt the method you are using. On the other hand, if your confidence is too strong, then you will be expecting something out of the practice. Neither extreme is beneficial. <clears throat> to come to a retreat merely out of curiosity shows a lack of faith in yourself and in the practice. It would be impossible for you to get good results. From the very beginning, you are denying yourself the possibility of doing well on retreat. <clears throat> <clears throat> at the same time, you may harbor certain resentments. You may get annoyed at the people around you or even at your own body when your legs cause you pain. You may be critical of the food or the style of the retreat. Always want to take a look at ourselves when <clears throat> we start getting crabby, start getting critical. Problem is on the inside. <clears throat> Calls are coming from inside the house. 
He says, having too much faith in yourself is likewise a problem. Someone who was extremely confident came to one retreat. He was highly intelligent and a top student. He thought if a person like me cannot get enlightened, then who can? After one day of practice, his back ached, his legs hurt, and he began to question if this was the way to get enlightened. One evening in the Chan Hall, he heard me say, if you can do it, sit through the night. He concluded that in order to get enlightened, he should forego sleep. By midnight, his eyes were heavy, but he forced himself to continue sitting. After three days of this, he was totally exhausted, and he said to me, now I have some idea of this enlightenment you are talking about. Basically, you just have to go without sleep. <clears throat> Shingen says, practice is like cooking rice. If you use a gentle flame, the rice will be perfect and easy to digest, whereas a high flame will burn it before it is done. One should practice with a very relaxed attitude. <clears throat> Many people sit up all night simply because they feel guilty if they don't. It's wonderful to sit up late. People <clears throat> have get to places late at night sometimes that just haven't happened during the day. It's quiet, still. Maybe easier to relax into the practice at night. But if we're just struggling with ourselves, doing it because we think we should, trying to get a result, it may be better to get some rest something everyone has to work out for themselves. <clears throat> Shingen says, if you do not abide in duality, neither having too much nor too little confidence, then what should you do? You have not come here to get enlightened, but to practice. It is not important whether you have a good grasp of the matter and can enter the practice deeply or not. Just do not have any doubts about the method or whether you have the, quote, right stuff to practice. Do not underestimate yourself. If others can practice, then at least you can try. <clears throat> Interesting, he says, it is not important whether you have a good grasp of the matter can enter the practice deeply or not. It's because what is important is your faith in the practice. <clears throat> your confidence in the method. Your persistence. I remember friends I knew back in the, my early days at the center back in the early 70s, who seemed to have a real gift for practice, <clears throat> and then they were gone. Sometimes it's the stubborn ones. As Suzuki Roshi said, the crooked cucumber <clears throat> It's the only one that stayed. 
All the other cucumbers were too smart and they ran away. What's helpful is not to torture yourself, <clears throat> as I guess we've said over and over again, with how things should be. It's a relief to put that aside, to realize I don't have to be deciding whether I'm a good student or a bad student, where I'm going to get, what I'm going to accomplish or not accomplish. I just, I can just give myself to the practice. This is the way to go through Sashin. Forget everything else. Forget time. Accept your difficulties. What's the alternative? The more you argue with yourself, the more you complain, the harder it is. It's like paying compound interest on a debt. There's the simple difficulty, and then there's the difficulty of our reaction to it. Just relax the body into the cushion, relax the mind into the practice. Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <clears throat>